0: Hi, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and this is Last Week in the Church. Today is the Feast of St. Joseph. Now, under any circumstances, that would be a huge deal here in Italy. But right now, when we are in a second lockdown, the country has once again come screeching to a halt because of the coronavirus. People are making an even bigger deal out of this than normal. So, as we would say here in La Bella Roma, buona festa. Here's what we've got on today's special holiday menu. The Vatican says no to blessing gay unions. What does a papal investigation actually mean? The vicissitudes of vaccines. A Vatican trial raises more questions than it answers. And a founder defies the pope. Those are the dishes I'm going to start serving up in just a moment, so please stick around. All right. Welcome back. Uh, please remember that you can find full coverage of all of these stories on the Crux site. That is CruxNow.com, CruxNow.com. Also, remember, if you enjoy this program, please give us a share or a like. Go on your social media platform of choice and let people know. We want to try to get the word out to as many folks as we possibly can. All right. We begin today with a response from the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, that is its doctrinal watchdog agency, uh, to what is technically known as a dubium, uh, that's a Latin word for doubt, basically means a question that was formally submitted to it uh, by a bishop someplace. The Vatican has not identified who this bishop was. In a moment, I'll tell you what the betting line says uh, about at least the country we're talking about, uh, but in any event, the question was uh, whether it is uh, okay for Catholic priests, Catholic bishops, Catholic clergy to offer blessings of gay unions. That is, if a gay couple gets civilly married or if they're in a relationship, they come to the church, they ask for a blessing, It is, a, it is, is it okay to administer one? The answer that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith gave was no, uh, it is not appropriate. Uh, that blessings are reserved for sacramental marriages. And of course, church teaching is that a sacramental marriage can occur uh, only between a man and a woman in a commitment that is for life and that is open to new life, i.e. the prospect of children. Uh, Now, uh, that is obviously no departure. That has been on the books since time immemorial. The Vatican has said it over and over again. Uh, The only two, I I guess, question marks uh, about this one are, are number one, why now? Uh, And number two, uh, why Pope Francis? Uh, Is it at all surprising that Pope Francis uh, would be the one to authorize this answer? And we should say that this answer from the Congregation for the Faith was fully approved by Pope Francis. Well, in terms of why now, Uh, As I said, we don't actually know where this dubium came from, but the odds, uh, the the betting around here anyway would be, uh, are uh, that it may well have come from Germany. Uh, Germany uh, is at the moment involved in what its bishops have described as a synodal process Uh, that is not a formal synod, but a consultative process with clergy and religious and laity in Germany uh, to try to discern a path forward, uh, specifically from uh, the damage of the clerical sexual abuse crisis, but more broadly where the church stands in the early 21st century. One of the issues that has arisen in Germany is precisely the church's approach uh, to same-sex relationships, to gay unions, to gay marriages. Uh, and some in this senatorial path, senatorial process, have proposed blessings as a kind of compromise move between, you know, full gay marriage but absolutely nothing, uh, and and so this idea has been floated. It may well be that one or more bishops in Germany wanted to know whether the Vatican would be prepared to sign off on that. At least for now, the answer the Vatican has given is no. Now, in terms of why Pope Francis, is it surprising? Uh, that it would be Francis to give this answer. I mean, some would answer that question in the affirmative. Uh, This, after all, is a pope who began his pontificate uh, with that famous soundbite of who am I to judge? Uh, In that case, it was specifically about gay clergy, but taken more broadly to refer to to gay people generally. Uh, This is a pope who has reached out Uh, to gay people, gays and lesbians, at various points during his pontificate. And so some were a little taken aback that Pope Francis would have signed off on this. However, this really, I I think, is the kind of distinctive Francis touch in miniature, right? Um, This is not a pope who is a revolutionary when it comes to church teaching. He has affirmed no to women priests. He has affirmed the solid no to abortion. He has affirmed a no to gay marriage. Uh, The Revolution of Francis isn't at the level of doctrine. It's at the level of pastoral practice. This is a pope who wants to say, look, we may have differences on specific points, and there are some aspects of what's going on in the world today we may not be able to give a thumbs up to. That doesn't mean that we don't want to be in good, solid, loving relationships with people, even when, uh, objectively speaking, the circumstances of their lives may differ from what we would say is the moral ideal. Uh, And so in that sense, I don't think there is anything particularly surprising uh, about Francis signing off on this. Uh, As I say, doesn't really change the status quo. This is instead a reminder that the status quo is precisely that, the status quo. Uh, All right, secondly, what does a papal investigation actually mean? This week it was reported, and I emphasize reported, not announced, because the Vatican never announced this, uh, but uh, it was reported by an Italian newspaper and has subsequently made the rounds uh, that Pope Francis has ordered an apostolic visitation of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and the Discipline of the Sacraments, that's the Vatican Department that sets policy on liturgy. So, like, how the Mass should be celebrated, how the various sacraments should be celebrated, and so on. Uh, Now, uh, it has been emphasized that this is not a canonical visitation. Usually a canonical visitation happens when some crisis has erupted, there's some scandal going on. Uh, and the Vatican needs to clean house. Uh, This is instead being described as an informal visitation uh, to help Pope Francis decide who he thinks ought to head this department and what its vision ought to be going forward. Now the question of who should head it is open because last month, Pope Francis accepted the resignation of uh, Cardinal Robert Sada of Guinea, uh, who had been head uh, of this department uh, for the last five years, uh, almost six. Uh, and it, 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 more, it was sort of, it, it raised some eyebrows uh, because frankly Cardinal Sada uh, was seen as one of the few sort of strong conservatives uh, in a senior leadership, leadership position in the Vatican. Uh, and during his term of office, he was sometimes seen as taking positions that if not at odds with the Pope, at least provided a kind of alternative emphasis, uh, an alternative note uh, from some of the things that the Pope and his closest allies were saying. Uh, So there is a vacancy. Uh, Pope Francis, by all accounts, uh, is not particularly an adept when it comes to liturgy, never been a particular passion of his. And so the benign reading uh, of all of this uh, is simply that the Pope uh, recognizes that he has to make some important decisions about a department that's, an in, that's in charge of a field he doesn't know particularly well. Uh, and so he's looking for another set of eyes. Uh, he wants some background. In other words, you can see this as a kind of routine administrative maneuver. The conclusion would be nothing to see here. As I say, that's one way of looking at it. It is certainly not the way everyone uh, is looking at it. I would say, uh, more conservative uh, voices in the liturgical field, uh, liturgical traditionalists, for sure, uh, look at this through a hermeneutic of suspicion. They would point out that the Pope never convened an apostolic visitation of any other Vatican department before he named new leadership, so why, why this one? Uh, they would also, uh, I think, have a degree of suspicion that perhaps what's really going on here uh, is that Pope Francis, having gotten rid of Cardinal Sara, now wants to know who are the Sara loyalists left at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and wants to sort of clean house so that a new leader more in sync with his own vision and his own agenda won't be hobbled by internal resistance from his own staff. In other words, they would suggest this is an exercise in figuring out who the blues and the grays are Uh, and getting rid of the graves, uh, basically. Uh, Now, which of these two interpretations is closer to the truth? Only time will tell if other exits from the Congregation for Divine Worship begin to happen. Uh, That would probably skew in the direction of the more cynical or skeptical uh, perspective. Uh, But in any event, what we know uh, is that a papal review of a Vatican department, which, not quite unprecedented, but certainly unusual, uh, is currently taking place. Drama surrounds why it's happening and what its outcome may be. All right. Third, the vicissitudes of vaccines. Uh, of course, the rollout of the COVID vaccines are continue to take place around the world. Uh, in Europe, we hit a glitch uh, in the last few days. Uh, the administration of the AstraZeneca vaccine was suspended. Because of concerns about a couple of deaths that had taken place that may or may not have been related to the vaccine. Uh, Yesterday, the European Medical Agency uh, ruled that the AstraZeneca vaccine is perfectly safe. Today, in both Germany and Italy, uh, administration of the vaccine is continuing. In the meantime, there continues to be debate in Catholic circles uh, about the moral legitimacy of these vaccines because some of them in the testing phase, others in the production phase, rely on uh, cell, t- uh, cell lines uh, that were derived from this, the, the, the tissues of aborted fetuses uh, in the 1960s or 1970s. This week on the Crux site, I had an interview with a very prominent Filipino moral theologian and also microbiologist, Father Nicanor Austriaco, uh... who argues that this debate which is concentrated principally in the united states he argues that it is irresponsible because he says that in the developing world such as his native philippines what's going on here is not merely an effort to save lives it's also an effort to save livelihoods that the economic consequences of the coronavirus have been crippling for the poorest of the poor that we are talking about shifting massive numbers of people from being poor to being ultra poor, that the vaccine is the only exit strategy we've got and that therefore he regards this American Catholic speculation about remote cooperation in a past evil as largely counting angels on the heads of a pin and irresponsible. It is an interesting perspective and a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that in the 21st century, we live in a church in which more than two-thirds of our membership is outside Europe in the United States. It's in the developing world. By the middle of this century, that share will be three quarters. And if we want to be Catholic in the 21st century, that is, we want to be universal, we have to think beyond the contours of debates in Europe and the United States. We have to open ourselves to the voices of the global church. Perhaps the vaccine debate is an opportunity, perhaps even an invitation, to do that in the here and now. All right, fourth, a Vatican trial is currently raising more questions than it answers. Uh, We have talked before on this program about a sex abuse trial currently going on uh, in the Vatican Criminal Court, the Vatican Tribunal. Uh, It's a highly unusual case because it involves an accusation by one minor, that is a minor at the time of the abuse, that he was abused by another minor at the time of the alleged abuse. These are two former pre-seminarians in a Vatican pre-seminary, the pre-seminary of St. Pius X. It's a residence for young men, usually junior high, high school age, who are considering an eventual vocation to the priesthood. It's an opportunity for them to get some spiritual formation uh, and some experience, I guess, of just the clerical lifestyle. Uh, the claim to fame of this particular seminat pre-seminary, uh, is that it supplies all the altar boys for St. Peter's Basilica. So a few years ago, one of the pre-seminarians uh, at this place, who has only been identified by the initials LG, that's in keeping with Italian and Vatican law of protecting the identities of alleged abuse victims, uh, claimed that uh, uh, a slightly older, less than a year really, uh, a slightly older pre-seminarian who since has been ordained a priest to Don Gabriele Martinelli of the Diocese of Como, uh, that this guy abused him. Uh, This week, uh, we finally heard from the alleged victim, LG, who testified for about three hours uh, with a break of a half hour in the middle. Uh, He described in graphic detail Uh, the way this alleged uh, abuse uh, is supposed to have occurred uh, in his room uh, at the pre-seminary. However, defense attorneys obviously attempted to knock it down. Uh, Their suggestion was that there are a number of inconsistencies in the timeline sketched uh, by LG uh, and also painted a picture of a largely consensual relationship. Thing of it is, what we now know in this trial is that we are in uncharted territory when a 13 or 14-year-old is claiming that he was sexually abused by a 14 or 15-year-old, when there are no direct eyewitnesses uh, to this alleged abuse, where the accounts have the surface appearance of credibility, but on the other hand, uh, there are also inconsistencies in the timeline and stern denials uh, from the other principal in the case. What do you do? Uh, we don't know. That is the dilemma that the Vatican court is currently wrestling with. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, how this trial plays out as it goes forward. All right, finally, a founder defies the pope. The celebrated monastic community of Bose uh, has been in turmoil for the last several years, ever since a Vatican visitation ended with a decision to that its its legendary founder, lay Italian monk Enzo Bianchi, needed to resign uh, as the leader of the community, and he needed to physically remove himself from the environment vatican thought it had a deal to do that in 2017 bianchi never left Uh, recently it reactivated momentum to trying to get that done thought it had to deal for bianchi to move on before lent again bianchi refused to go Uh, bianchi recently posted a somewhat testy uh, blog post uh, in which he claimed that he was basically sandbagged by the vatican that is He'd agreed to move to another property with a few loyalists, few members of his community who wanted to go with him. But he's claiming the Vatican, without any discussion, imposed the requirement that those members of the community who went with him would have to renounce their monastic vows. They basically would be out of the community. Bianchi is claiming that was never the deal. Uh, And so he's saying, basically, I'm not going anywhere uh, and you can't make me. Uh, Now, in that negotiation prior to Lent, Pope Francis had personally intervened, and this week, Pope Francis sent a letter to members of the community saying, look, don't be discouraged, don't let all this question your vocation, question the importance of what you're doing, it's precious, it's valuable in the eyes of God, you'll get through this. Um, What all this raises are two very interesting points. Uh, one, uh, Pope Francis's hands-on approach to this kind of thing. This is one community, admittedly, tremendously symbolically important in the ecumenical field. But nevertheless, uh, the Pope is twice now uh, involved himself in what you know some people would argue is fairly small potatoes. It's ultimately one guy uh, and the question of where he chooses to live. Uh, But Pope Francis uh, is not one to delegate uh, in this kind of set of circumstances. From the beginning, uh, he has been a very hands-on manager. That is both a great strength and a great weakness. The great strength is nobody can claim the Pope doesn't know what's going on. He does. The weakness is nobody can say it's somebody else's fault Uh, because when you're a hands-on manager, ultimately, if whatever you're doing doesn't work, uh, there's nobody else uh, to take responsibility. The other interesting point this raises is despite the mythology that the Pope is an absolute monarch who can just press a button in Rome uh, and make anything in the Catholic Church he wants to happen in the blink of an eye... It just ain't so. In this case, he can't even get a founder of a papally recognized uh, monastery out of a property that is papally owned and sponsored. Uh, it you know I mean the thing is uh, yes popes are infallible when they pronounce on un- unfaith and morals yes popes enjoy according to canon law full, full supreme universal and immediate jurisdiction that however in a euro in rome often will get you a cappuccino uh, if a guy is determined to drag in his heels and play out the string Look, Pope Francis eventually will prevail, but, he's, but Bianchi is basically calling his bluff. He's saying, do you want to send in the papal gendarmes and, get, and drag me kicking and screaming out of here? Do you want that visual? If not, maybe you need to play ball. Remains to be seen, but it just goes to show uh, that yeah, uh, a pope is the big boss, but in this system, even the big boss uh, has limits. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you for being with us. We will be here next Friday, as always, same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, please go on the Crux site, cruxnow.com. That is cruxnow.com. Check out our full coverage of all these stories and much more beyond. We're in the middle of our online fundraising drive. If you can make a small stable monthly commitment to keeping crux going to keeping us independent we would be extraordinarily grateful also uh, give us a thumbs up for this show give us a like Uh, give us a a retweet uh, or whatever is in your social media wheelhouse we would deeply appreciate that as well in the meantime stay safe stay healthy have a fantastic and blessed week buona festa di san giuseppe And we will talk to you again soon.